Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. Um, a couple of weeks ago, um, Alan, who some of you know, uh, we're in partnership with Southlands uh, through the Advanced Network, said, hey, um, would you like to have Terry Virgo? And I'm like, would I? Um, and he's like, the only challenge is like he's going to be preaching at Brea in the morning. And so um, he's going to preach and then get in the car and get rushed over here. And, and I'll be like, yeah, we could do that. And then I said to Jason, it takes 10 years off my life, those kinds of uh, organized chaos where, you know, where is he? Does the person who's bringing him know that he's going to be here? But um, Terry is here. I just wanted to mention a couple things about Terry. Uh, Terry's been in ministry um, longer than 90% of the people in this room have been alive. Um, he is a, not just a father in the faith, but a grandfather in the faith. Uh, um, by God's grace, has multiplied, uh, multiplying churches. Uh, there are two quotes. Now, those of us that have had good fathers and mentors know that there are people that mentor you directly and father you directly. Uh, Terry, through his writing and teaching, has been one of the people that has fathered me. And I, I'll remember, I remember two quotes very vividly. Uh, the one uh, I've actually mentioned here before, that God is not impressed by your gift. He gave it to you. That was Terry. Uh, and then I also remember reading God's lavish grace and just being utterly smacked by the scandalous grace of God. And I remember him saying uh, in that book that the law is like an angry, impotent husband who is constantly yelling at you that you're doing something wrong without lifting a finger to help you. And the grace of God is the exact opposite of that. Uh, and Terry has been formational in not only the idea of faith alone, grace alone, uh, but he's also been formational in being able to restore uh, the ministry of uh, the Ephesians 4 ministry to the church of building a church where the expectation of the tangible presence of God is there, which shapes a people within this community so that we can go out into the world and bring Jesus to the world. So, Terry, thank you so much. We are so grateful that you're here. Thank you so much, Nick. Can I take you with me to introduce me everywhere? <laughs> what a gracious invitation. Thank you so much. It's a joy to be back with you. I realize for perhaps many of you, uh, it's the first time we've met, but I've been here before, and it's a joy to be back. And I'm grateful for my fellowship with Nick and with the churches in this area. I've been in uh, this general area for this last week, uh, and I've been with staff and elders and stuff, which has been great fun and been looking forward to this morning. So I do hope I can be a blessing to you in the Word. Uh, I'm going to be speaking to you from Numbers chapter 10, if uh, you like looking things up as I'm speaking, Numbers chapter 10. Just to say that in, when 2020 came round, I thought, oh, wonderful, uh, 2020 sounds so good, doesn't it? It's a perfect, perfect vision. I'm going to have a great, great year. And, uh, and suddenly COVID came and the whole thing was crossed out. I uh, had a very full program for a year, which I lost. And I thought, what do I do? And uh, I felt God spoke to me quite clearly and uh, said that I should write a book on Moses, which sadly I don't have any left to have at the back here, but it's called God's Treasured Possession. 
Uh, if you're interested, you can find it on Amazon. Uh, God's treasured possession is uh, really what God regarded his people as. And it's a story of Moses taking a rabble of slaves and turning them into an effective inheriting army. And uh, God's about a great work today. And it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, all these things happen to them as an example. In other words, this is solid history. Actually, actually happened to them, as we're going to read in a moment. It happened to these people, but it was like a little miniature. There were two million slaves that came out. But that's, you know, it's like a sort of sizable town today. But God was working his purpose on these two million people, and they're on a journey into an inheritance. And that's really a model of what it is for us, that when God finds us, you know, we have slaves to all kinds of trash, all kinds of problems. And God saves us and takes us on a journey. We're all on a journey. We're learning things. And things happen to them for, as an example. Because we're living in a culture that's thrown away the map and the compass and everything. And people are wondering, what are we on the planet for? What are we doing? And they don't know what they're doing. Bumping into one another. Horrible mess out there. But God has given us an example. And it's written down, it says, for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. That's what it says in 1 Corinthians 10. For us people at these ends of the ages, we need instruction, we need an example, we need something to follow. And what happened to these people is so instructive for us. And so I wrote the book while I was in lockdown. I felt I so enjoyed day by day going into my study thinking, what happened next? What happened next? And following through this story. And I want to speak to you about one of the very important chapters, right? So in uh, Numbers chapter 10, I won't read the whole thing, it's rather long, but I'll just choose out some verses that give the feel of what the chapter's about because it's the chapter that particularly shows them being changed from being a rabble into some formation. It's interesting. They started a rabble. They're complaining, moaning, misery. It's quite an interesting story. By the time Moses hands them over to Joshua, Joshua can say, march around Jericho and don't speak. And they do that. These moaning Israelites, they're now an army. And they say, on the seventh day, shout. And they shout. And the walls of Jericho come down. And wow, they are powerful company. They've been transformed into a powerful company. And it, it takes a lot of story, a lot of things to happen. And this is one of the interesting chapters where they begin to shape up, right? They're beginning to shape up. So I'll just read a few verses from Numbers chapter 10. First of all, I'll read from verse 13. So they moved out for the first time, according to the commandment of the Lord through Moses. The standard of the camp of the sons of Judah, according to their armies, set out first, and Narshon, the son of Abinadab, over its army. Verse 17, then the tabernacle was taken down, and the sons of Jershon, the sons of Merari, who were carrying the tabernacle, set out. 21, then the Kohathites set out, carrying the holy objects, and the tabernacle was set up before their arrival. Verse 25, then the standard of the camp of the sons of Dan, according to their armies, which formed the rear guard for all the camps set out. And then verse 28. This was the order of march of the sons of Israel by their armies 
as they set out. Then Moses said to Hobab, the son of Reuel, the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law, we are setting out to the place of which the Lord said, I will give it to you. Come with us and we will do you good. For the Lord has promised good concerning Israel. But he said to him, I'll not come. I'd rather go to my own land and relatives. But he said, no, please, don't leave us, inasmuch as you know where we should camp in the wilderness. You will be as eyes for us. So it will be if you will go with us that whatever good the Lord does for us, we will do for you. Thus they set out from the Mount of the Lord, three days' journey, with the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord journeying in front of them for three days to seek out a resting place for them. And the cloud of the Lord was over them by day when they set out from the camp. Then it came about when the Ark set out that Moses said, Rise up, O Lord, let your enemies be scattered. Let those who hate you flee before you. And when it came to rest, he said, Return, O Lord, to the myriad thousands of Israel. Holy Spirit, we do welcome you. We thank you. You're with us as we worship and enjoy your love. We ask for your word to come. Come and be our teacher, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. Lead us into truth. Come and show Jesus to us. Come and glorify the name of the Lord. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So as they're on this journey, they bump into Moses' father-in-law and issue him an invitation. Come with us and we'll do you good. Maybe there's some fathers-in-law here on Father's Day. Let me issue the invitation to all of us. Hey, come with us. We will do you good. This is a very uh, relevant verse that we can take, like all of these, all the story, the whole story of Moses, the whole thing is very relevant to us. And, and, and this turning point, as they're moving out, they invite him, come, come, come with us, come and be part of us. And uh, notice this, they don't say come to us, they say come with us. Because there are people on a journey, that's what the church is. The church's foundation is this, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And so the, the invitation is, come with us, come with us, not come to us. You see, obviously the, the, the apostles were told, go and make disciples of all nations. And they went and started churches. But the churches were with a view to reaching the ends of the earth. The Bible says this, when the ends of the earth have been reached, then the end will come. So this is the most important thing happening on the planet at the moment. God is gathering people for himself from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, saying, come on, come with us, come with us. We're going to reach a friend of mine, Scott Marks, who lives in Zimbabwe, wrote to us a couple of weeks ago now and said, we've just reached a completely unreached group, a tribe that had no, no, they got their language, they got, they got, they've never heard the gospel before. What an excitement, eh? And we're caught up in that together. Come with us. We want to do you good. We want to go and uh, share Jesus with every tribe and tongue and nation and every people. And so we're on that journey. And it comes from someone who's not part of it. So come with us. I think if someone said that to me today, come with us, I think I'd have a few questions for them. And that's how I want to approach this. I think if someone said to me, come with us, I think I'd say, who are you? I mean, it's a valid question, isn't it? Who are you? And I think that's who you could ask Moses. Who are you? Well, Moses' answer could have been this. We are the children of Abraham. Well, who's Abraham? Well, Abraham is the guy whom God first manifested his purposes to. 
First person in the Bible that God came to and said, I've got a plan to reach the whole world. This is my plan. I've got a program to reach every nation in the world. And I'm starting with you. And, Ab- and he said to Abraham, count the stars if you can. And he kind of looked up and he said, so many will your children be? That's how many children you're going to have. And he said, through your seed, that is through your descendants, and ultimately through one seed, namely Jesus, who will come from this people, all the families of the earth will be blessed. This man becomes a phenomenal man of destiny. There's one man on the planet. That's the way God planned to do it. I'm going to speak. And And so it says in the Bible, the God of glory who created everything, appeared to our father Abraham and made this breathtaking promise to him. And the Bible says this, Abraham believed God. That's how the story starts. Because one, God wants a people who will believe him. That's, that's his key. He's saying, I will believe God. I trust God. The Apostle Paul said, I've been given apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among the nations. We obey because we believe. We believe him. We say, yes, Lord. We believe him. And Abraham is the first model in the Bible. He says, I believe God. I believe God. And so Moses could say, well, we're part of that seed. Who are you? Well, we're children. We're we're, we're following through. But it's when God spoke to Abraham, he said, your descendants will be in slavery for 400 years. He told Abraham that. So you've got Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. He has 12 sons. So it's beginning to grow out. And then Joseph, who goes down into Egypt and is phenomenally welcomed. But then the children of Israel keep growing and growing until there's two million slaves in this nation. And the, and the, the Egyptian emperor says, enough of this. I, I'm, I don't want two million. This is another nation within a nation. So kill the firstborn. Kill the children. Kill the male children. It's like we're going to stop this. So it's absolutely draconian law. Just kill them. Kill them. And God says at that point, I, I've seen the plight of my people. These 400 years are up. I've heard their cry. I have come down to deliver them. And Moses, I send you. So like Abraham has this revelation of God. Then Moses is the next one to have this kind of revelation. He's out looking after a few sheep. And suddenly there's a bush and it's burning with glory. And it doesn't go up in smoke. It keeps on burning. He says, what on earth is that? He goes to look at it and it speaks. God speaks out of it. He says, Moses, wow, what is that? It's a voice. Moses, are we able? I've, I've come down to deliver my people. I'm sending you. And, and take your shoes off. Come on, get on your face before me. And it's like, wow, wow, God's cool. And who are you? I am that I am. You get this first revelation of the majestic God. And I'm going to bring them out. And so this, well, who are you? Well, we're people that God's appeared to and, and, and now he's speaking to. And, he, and he's going to deliver us. And he's going to judge Egypt. Because Egypt, well... They worship all kinds of gods. They're not interested in the true God. They take bits of wood and cut them down, and half of it they burn and warm themselves. Half of it they make into an idol and worship it. And Israel was doing the same, the Bible says. They were worshiping these weird gods. They were not very impressive. They'd forgotten who they were. But Moses has been apprehended, and he's been called now. You're going to do this thing. So I'm going to judge the whole nation, God says, and, and they suggest they kill the firstborn. I will kill the firstborn of every home. But you, you Jewish guys, you take a lamb, it has to be a perfect one, not trash you don't want, a lamb. You take a perfect 
innocent, spotless lamb, and you kill that lamb, and you take the blood, and you put it over the doorposts of your house. And when I come judging the nation that night, when there'll be death in every household, where I see the blood, I'll pass over you. And so this rite of Passover gets established, and on that frightening, terrifying night, when there are screams coming from house after house, the ones hiding underneath the blood of the lamb, they don't die. The lamb dies, but they don't. And that all speaks into the New Testament, doesn't it? That John the Baptist said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus said, I came not to be served, but to serve, give my life a ransom for many. He shed his blood. And the blood, God knows its value. All right? It wasn't for the Israelites to put it on the doorpost and then open the door and look at it and think, oh, it doesn't do much for me. It wasn't meant to do much for you. God said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. God alone knows the breathtaking value of the blood of the Lamb. That when Jesus died on the cross, that perfect, innocent man who'd never, ever sinned, he said, Satan's coming, he's got nothing on me. Which of you convinces me of sin? No one could convince him of sin. He was holy, righteous Lamb of God. And the blood covered them. So when death swept through the nation, these were all saved through the blood. And that speaks to us. These things are written down for our instruction. We are those who say, so who are you? We join you. We believe in the blood of Christ. We, we take communion from time. We were all the time saying, thank you, Jesus. You died in my place. Thank you. You took away my guilt. Thank you. You took the punishment. Thank you so much. That's why we love him. That's why we sing to him. I wasn't here, but I'm sure you're singing to Jesus, celebrating how wonderful he is, this wonderful lamb who's taken away our sin. That's who we are. We're people forgiven. We're carrying a massive sense of destiny. We're God's answer to the world. Also, the blood has cleansed us. But then, having been cleansed, they're, they're still in the land. They're slaves. And Moses says, come on, let's go. And they go, oh, wow, the Red Sea. We can't get any further. We're locked in. And not only are we locked in, here comes the Egypt, Egypt's army with chariots and horses and spears and swords. And we're just slaves. We don't have anything. We're going to get slaughtered. That's it. We've had it. And then we all know the wonderful story. The Red Sea opened. This it, is a miraculous deliverance. All right? It's a miraculous deliverance. The Bible's full of miracles. He's a miraculous God. And the Red Sea opens, and they go down into it and come out the other side. And it says in the Bible, out of Egypt I called my son. They've been born again. It's like a new life. They started. Wow, we went down and came up. Because why? Well, here come all the slave owners. And they say, oh, we'll do the same. We'll go through. And as they go into that valley, the water's closing and they are taken out. And no slave owner gets through. And they're free. They're absolutely free. They are now freed from slavery. And beloved, that's important for us to understand. Not only am I forgiven... Because when I was a young Christian, I came out of a totally pagan world. My parents were not Christian. I had no Christian upbringing. I had a very bad upbringing. I was being, I was being discipled by the culture, which was pretty disgusting, and I was part of it. I, I, I signed on. I was part of it. And, and I got saved. Thank you, Jesus, for, for, for giving me. But as I'm starting, oh, wow. I, I still feel like I'm a slave. And I still feel... 
It's, I can imagine those slaves thinking, oh, no, there's my slave owner. Oh, boy, I'm still a slave. I'm forgiven, but I'm still a slave. But they weren't. They were through and out the other side. They've been set free from slavery, as well as forgiven, set free from slavery. And so we find that in the New Testament, Paul says in Romans 6, don't you realize you've died with Christ? You've been raised to newness of life. And as I was a teenager, I thought, well, thank you for forgiving me, but there's all sorts of horrible stuff in my life. And then I saw Romans 6, he that has died is freed from sin. And I understood. Paul says, don't you know? It's possible to be freed and don't know it. Don't you know? He that has died is freed from sin. I'm so grateful. When I saw that truth, all kinds of stuff just fell away. Because God says, no, you're, if anyone's in Christ, it's new creation. You've come out from death. You've been raised with him to newness of life. I found that broke free, broke me free. The truth, you'll know the truth. The truth will free you. You don't have to be a slave anymore. We're free. And, and that, that, that was their experience. That's been my experience. That's Christian experience. We've been crucified with Christ. It's like we went down into death with him. And when we're baptized, that's what we're enacting. When we're baptized, we say, okay, goodbye, old life. Bury it. Raise up. Wow. Newness of life. A new person. Unrecognizably different. New motives. New appetites. New view of life. I'm a child of God. I'm a new creation. That's what the Bible says of us, beloved. That's who we are. So when you say, well, you come with us, who are you? Well, we've got this promise. We're going to be God's blessing to the world. That's true of the church. That's true of us. We've got answers. The guy who works next to you, who's blind and ignorant, and doesn't know what life's about, you're God's answer. We've got the answer. And then the unreached tribe that's just been reached, oh, we've got such good news for them. We, that, that, the, we, we've seen something where people are destiny. And then, hey, the blood's covered us. All our guilt's gone. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There just isn't any. God justifies freely as a gift. We've been, we've been, it says in Hebrews, I've been sanctified once and for all by one offering. Hallelujah. When I wake up this morning, I'm holy. Not because I had an excellent quiet time, but because I'm in Jesus. See, some of us think, oh, I'm not very good. I didn't have a very good quiet time this morning. No, Jesus has made me righteous, the Bible says so. Justified freely as a gift. Perfected for all time by this blood. Oh, thank you, Jesus. So when I wake in the morning, I say, thank you, Father. See, some of us, when we pray, we say, first thing you should do is just confess your sins. Clean the decks. Don't do that. Don't do that. Because you've got in the Bible, it says... The, the devil is the accuser of the brothers and sisters who accuses us day and night. Right? He accuses you day and night. The devil doesn't live downtown. He's not in the red light area. He's in your prayer time. And you, and, and you come and you say, oh, sorry, I'm so sorry. And then Satan says, and what about this as well? Oh, yeah, and that as well. And people hate prayer because it's so dreadful. It's like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm a dreadful person, I can't. And because we start sin-centered. Now, if you start righteousness, because that's what God's, that is how God sees it. There is no condemnation for those. Jesus took it all. He died in our place. It's not a let-off, someone paid it. It's done. It's God's lavish grace, he set us free. So you get your head up. So when we pray, you say, Father, hallowed be your name, glorify. Now we may pray that I find the Lord's Prayer a helpful structure. So if I use that structure, I come to forgive us our trespasses. Lord, please keep my conscience tender. 
If there's anything I've done, please, Lord, I'm so sorry. But I don't start, oh God, here I come, terrible sinner. I come saying, thank you, Father. Thank you, I'm born of God. Thank you, taking away all my guilt. Thank you, I've been crucified with Christ, I've been raised with him. That's who we are, beloved. It's important to know who we are. We're not just churchgoers. We're a new creation. God's done a breathtaking thing in us. And, and the sad thing for often the church has been more kind of, I don't know, discipled by the culture. God wants us discipled by truth. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And this is what we know. This is what's happened to us. So, so if when we say come with us, who are we? Well, this is, we're these sort of things. We have a destiny. We have uh, forgiveness. We've died to the power of sin. We've been set free. And then the next thing we find is this. He took, gosh, he took them to meet with God. Now, if a bush burned for Moses, you know, one guy, wow, a bush. He took them to meet God. It says that, I love this phrase, he took them to meet God. What a statement. I remember the first time I met my in-laws. That was scary enough. <laughs> I met Wendy at college. You know, I asked her to marry me. I'd never met, I never met her family. And then comes the day, you're going to meet the in-laws. What do I wear? What do I call them? You know, it says in here, they came to meet God. <laughs> meet God. He brought them to meet God. And it's just the mountain just kind of took off. It was like lightning, thunder, a trumpet that grew louder and louder. And two million people heard the voice of God. And they said to Moses, you go up and talk to him. I mean, this is terrifying. But God says, you're mine. I've loved you. I've, I've, I've not loved any of it yet. I'm loving you. You're, it's like you're betrothed to me. You're, you're mine forever. It's amazing. It's like they're betrothed to God. So you get two languages. Out of Egypt, I call my son. So it's wonderful to relate to God as a father. And I call you betrothed. It's lovely to relate to Jesus as my bridegroom. We're in this phenomenal relationship with God. Come with us. And there God makes terrific covenant promises to them. When you break bread, you remember the covenant. God made, he said, now you're mine, I'm yours. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to travel with you. In fact, at one point, at one point they're so backslidden, they make a golden calf. And they start worshipping it. And God says, what are you up to? What are you doing? And he says to Moses, who's climbed the mountain to talk to him, he said, these people who you brought out. And Moses says, no, they're your people who you brought out. <laughs> and Moses does a great job. He intercedes. And because Moses, God said to Moses, look, I'll send the angel. You can have the land, but I'm not coming. And Moses says, no, look, this is what makes your people distinct, that you're with us. And that's still true, beloved. We don't want to go anywhere without the presence of God. I hate church without the presence of God. I'm not fond of religion. I love this massive privilege that we can know the presence of God. I've not been in your worship, but I'm sure you just came and you started to enjoy the presence of God together. God's presence is so vital to us. He's, he's with us. This is what makes God's people distinct. God's with us. And so that's who they were. Right, we must rush on. My time's rushing by. I think my second question would be this. Where are you going? Come with us. We'll do you good. Who are you? We've answered that. Where are you going? Well, it's interesting. When they came through the Red Sea, Moses sang a great worship song. It's called Exodus 15. 
And it's the first worship in the Bible. It's the first corporate worship. You could call it Psalm 1 almost. It's a wonderful, wonderful song. It's like, wow, we got free. Lord, who is like you? It's just it's full of worship. It's like, oh, God, you're stunning. You set us all free. Well, who is there like you? There's none like our God. The horse and the rider, he's cast into the sea. They sank like lead. It's like, whoa. And then he gets prophetic, which is what often tongues and interpretations are like. They, they kind of celebrate and they start getting revelation. And, and there's, there's something supernatural about them. And he says, you'll bring us into the land. It's not just... Run away, guys. You're out of Egypt. Run for it. Run for it. No, no. There's purpose. We're all going somewhere. It's a bit that Hollywood doesn't quite understand. They think it's just about freedom from slavery. But no, no. There's a land. There's a mountain. There's a city. There's a temple. He sings about it all in Exodus 15. I mean, how do you know that they'll do that? That's where we're going. Well, how do you know? No, he knew that. Supernaturally knew that's where we're going. We're going into the land. Now, for them, it was a plot of land. It was a little bit of land at the end of the Mediterranean in Canaan, that little bit of land. I've been there. It's not very special. It's just a bit of land. But the land that's for us, actually what God said to Abraham was, it says in Romans 4, you're heir of the world. So that little bit of land was just the, the small model for the two million. God's eye is on the nations. All the nations of the earth will be blessed. That's God's intention. That's where you're going. It's interesting. At one point, they come to the land, and the spies go in to look at it. And they say, wow, the, wall, the walls are up to heaven. These cities, boy, wow. And the people are giants. And they come back and say, whoa, we can't go in there. And it's wonderful, actually. God says this. They say, but the giants, there's walled cities. And God says, how long will these people despise me? And I think they would have said, oh, no, what, despising you, Lord? It's the walled cities. It's the giants. But God takes unbelief personally. You're despising me. I said, go and take it. But we can't. Hey, I said you can. We can't. How long are you going to despise me? And then God says this, as truly as I live, what comes next is going to happen. When God says something like that, as truly as I live, what does he say? He says, all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. He doesn't say, as truly as I live, you will get in there one day. He doesn't say that. He says, as truly as I live, all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. Because that's what God's about. That's what he said to Abraham, all the families of the earth. That's God's intention. When that is fulfilled, it says in the New Testament, when the gospel has come to every, every person, then the end will come. That's the only thing that matters that's happening on planet Earth today. So the modern culture, who cares about the culture? It's coming and going. But we are the people of God. And we carry the truth of God. And we know about death and resurrection. And we know about a city that's going to come down from heaven. And so we're going into the land to tell everybody about it. And that's why it's so important, beloved, that the church is built on a kind of apostolic foundation because the apostles, that's what it says, the church is built on the apostle, not built on pastoral foundation. Pastoral foundation is like, please look after me, which is nice. We want the best pastoring that we could possibly get. But it's not foundational to who we are. What is foundational to who we are is go into all the world and preach the gospel. So we want the best possible churches we can have. But um, manifesto is going to all the world, the land which God has set before us.
Every tribe, every tongue, every nation. That's what, so you are caught up in something bigger than yourself. As a church, you are caught up with other churches, other people, people from other nations, because that's part of what God wants. It's not just come to us, it's come with us. And so it's the land, yes, the land, but also not only the land, but also it says the city. And so it's interesting, when they go into the land, well, they've got to take Jerusalem. And under David, they take Jerusalem, but Jerusalem begins to take on a kind of almost mystical significance. Jerusalem, it's the, I must have Jerusalem. And in that time, what happens is there's tri, you know, 12 tribes of slaves, they get a king. They've never had a king before. They have a king, they have a king, ultimately King David. And, and he, ha, he, may, he unites them into a kingdom. And he writes wonderful songs. So he's, he's instructing them who we are. They learn who they are through the songs David wrote, the Psalms. And there's great songs about Zion. Well, Zion, it's just a city they live in. It's Jerusalem, but it's more than Jerusalem. And it, and Paul, and it says in some sense, it's a joy of the whole earth. It's people living in the presence of God. The New Testament says our citizenship is from heaven. We belong to a different city. Do you realize that? We belong to a different city. We really do. We need to comprehend that, beloved. We belong to a different city. It's, it's someone said the Bible is like the tale of two cities, Charles Dickens' famous uh, play, story. Uh, you know, the two cities. Well, from Genesis to Revelation, Babylon, that great city, which spoke of independence of God. We don't need God. One of the first city referred to in the Bible. It's a great, prosperous, significant city. It's people without God. That great city. And then you get Jerusalem. And you come, I'm, my devotional reading has just taken me through to um, Revelation. And I just read that chapter this morning. And, and it says, Babylon, that great city, has fallen in one hour. It's gone. And that holy city, Jerusalem, is coming down from heaven like a bride prepared for her husband. And in the valley, millions in the valley of decision. Which city are you in? See, we, we belong to a city. We belong to a people. We're not just churchgoers. It says of the early church, they were together. Have you noticed that? Especially Acts 2, 3, 4, the Spirit's been poured out. They were together. It says they were together from house to house. They were together at the temple. They were just together. It's almost like their identity was together and they went out, like they go out to, to work, if you like. Whereas we, we, beloved, we tend to be like this. We live in the world and we occasionally go to church. The early church, they lived, to, they were together. House to house, city, they, they were just together. They, they enjoyed life together. You know, they had fathers in Israel, they had mothers in God, they had people, they feel joined. The Bible says you don't come to maturity alone, you need one another. So when I got saved, I started going to the local super Baptist church, really wonderful preacher, a wonderful man, I loved him, great preacher. But he used to say at the end of each meeting, don't forsake the gathering of yourselves together. It's like, be here next week. But he didn't quote the whole verse. The whole verse says, don't forsake the gathering of yourselves together, but encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. And he didn't tell us, lovey man that he was, there were over 40 one another verses in the New Testament. One another. We weren't doing any of them. 
As we went into church, they gave us a hymn book, and my friend said, you immediately got religious throat. You took the hymn book and said, thank you very much, and got in. And nobody spoke to anybody, because you weren't supposed to. So we're just a lot of strangers. You could be anonymous, big crowd. But no, no, encourage one another. Pray for one another. Build one another up. Confess your faults to one another. Admonish one another. I mean, it's 40, 40, one another's. We weren't doing any of them. Not one of them. Not one of them. And the Bible says, no, no, we're supposed to be together. We're meant to know one another. We need to be close. It's not easy to confess your faults to someone you don't know. It's not easy to admonish someone you don't know. It's not easy to say to someone, do you really listen to your wife? I don't think you do. I mean, it's like, who's going to say that? How dare you? But, you know, when you're friends and close, you can come to maturity with the help of one another. That's how it's meant to be. There's a city. It's a people dwelling together. I love it. It says about, you know, they, they tried to buy a prophet in the Old Testament called Balaam, pay him money to, to curse Israel. And he gives some of the most beautiful prophecies about Israel. He said, there are people who dwell apart. God wants a people. And they, they, they kind of dwell apart. But they go to work. But they live in the world, as it says in the Bible, as though they have no dealings with it. Of course you have dealings. You've got to put bread on the table. You care for your family. Of course you do. But you have dealings, but as though, as though you had no dealings. So where you live what you do, how you raise your kids. These are not incidental. These are fundamental. We're a different kind of people. And people at work will notice you don't enter into the disgusting conversations. You don't flirt with the woman that's not your wife. Hey, what is it with you? I know Jesus. We're a different kind of people. And the world we live in is going to be more and more obvious. And, and, and God start moving by his spirit. It's important that we are recognizable as this different people. You see, it doesn't say be kind. It doesn't say that. It says be kind to one another, forgiving one another. There's a community that are doing it with one another. We learn these lives, this lifestyle together. And then, of course, it overflows. The kindness we show in the house of God begins to overflow in the workplace. But the church is where it works out. We're his people. And so, yeah, we build a city. We build a city. We build another community. And um, also a temple. I haven't got time. The temple, the presence of God. Right? Moses speaks about the land, the city, and the temple. We're, we're turning slaves into worshippers. We're there in the presence of God. I, I would love to speak longer, but it's, I'm taking too long. I'm sorry. The last question, I think there's one more question I must ask it. When it says, someone says, come with us, we'll do you good. Who are you? Where are you going? And I think my third question would be, what happens to me if I join you? And it's fascinating because it's in the text. It says, the good God does to us, you'll be included. You will get all the good. God's promised us good, you become part of that. You become part of that. Maybe you're wondering about being added to this community. The good that God will do, you'll become part of that. And then is this very interesting last thing. He says, you can be as eyes for us. Did you notice that in the reading? He says, no, I don't want to come. Well, he doesn't say, all right, you join us. God, there's two million, just join at the back there somewhere. He doesn't say that. He says, come on in. 
You can be eyes for us. You know where we can camp. All right? That's the actual practical thing. Now, they're following the cloud. It's not like you don't take us over. You lead us. No, that's not it. The cloud is leading them. God is leading them. But when the cloud stops, you know the territory. You know where we can camp. You can be eyes for us. When you join a living church, you become a functioning member. And this is, this is the language of the New Testament. That in the church, we have many members. We have eyes. We have ears. We have feet. We have hands. When a church first starts, we're all mucking in. But gradually as it grows, we begin to find the administrative gift. We begin to find the musical gifts. We begin to find the people who are brilliant with this and brilliant with that and the prophetic people who see things. And You see, we're all meant to have a part to play. As it says in 1 Peter, as every one of you has received a special gift, every one of you, employ it in serving one another as another one another. Employ your gift. Maybe you haven't found what your gift is yet. But the Bible says we've all got gifts. Maybe we should covet more gifts. It says, no, covet the best gifts. In other words, ask for them. Let me encourage you. Just ask, please, Lord, would you give me the gift of prophecy? Please, God, would you give me the gift of healing? Please, God, would you give me that? It's all these gifts. Wisdom, knowledge, all sorts of gifts of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwelling among the people of God and each of us finding our gift. Not to put us on some platform where we could be peculiar, but so we could be in a family and serve one another with the gift God's given us. So the church becomes a phenomenal thing, being edified by words and things and stuff. So, I mean, this morning, this morning, I'm just praying, my phone goes ping, and there's a guy in England who doesn't even know I'm in America at the moment. So I was just praying for you this morning. I felt God gave me this for you. Gave me a lovely, lovely word. I get edified by things like that because he's being faithful to the gift God's given him. He's, been, he's employing his gift to serve me and bless me. And, and, and so God wants a, a many-membered gift, gifted body. I used to go and visit a lady in hospital who had a stroke and she used to have this arm. She, said, oh, she was a radiant Christian. We used to laugh a lot. But she'd, throw, she'd get this arm and throw it. Say, well, useless thing. <laughs> pick it up and put it there again see, she had a member that didn't work and God wants us to have a very healthy body with every member working properly every member working properly God wants that for us God wants that for us I, I had lunch with Matt Redman yesterday and we, he came to church this morning with the other place I've just been and five of his kids have had major surgery in the last few months because the members weren't working properly. We don't, want, we don't want bodies like that. So God wants us to find our place. You could, you could be eyes for us. You could be eyes for us. I'll just close with this illustration. A dear friend of mine in India, I, I go to India quite often, and a, a guy called Arun, his son, had terribly lost his way. He was into drugs. He was into all kinds of horrible mess. And my friend's a preacher. And he was traveling back down, and uh, he's sitting on the floor in the corridor of the train. Indian trains are something else. Anyway, he's sitting, on, he's sitting there, and he, and he knew what a mess he'd got. And he said, I'm sitting on the floor, and I said to God, is there any hope for me? Have I, have I blown it utterly? And he's just kind of praying to God, because he knew what a mess he was. But he knew he was a Christian doing badly. 
And he said he went to the meeting where his dad was. He came to see his dad. His dad's preaching. He told me this story. It's so fantastic. He told me this story. He said, I'm standing at the back. And, and he said, God spoke to me and said, see that guy down there? Say this to him. And, he, and he's, whoa, whoa, whoa. Say this to him. And gave him something to say. And uh, he said, I stood there and I said, if you want me to say something to somebody, you, you, you must bring him to me. He said, I opened my eyes and the guy's standing there. <laughs> and he gave him the word. It happened one other time. He came back to God in a rush. I was preaching around. That. Every time I turned on to preach, there's, there's the boy in the meeting again. He's like, I can't get enough teaching. I just want it. In the end, he came to England to do a training program we did. And he got very close to my son, who had been on a bad trip. And they'd come, they became very close buddies, still are. But, you know, God called him back and gave him this. I go, me? But I'm, I'm terrible. God began to use him as a voice. You can be eyes for us. When we join, there's all sorts of possibilities. So, beloved, I've gone over time, and I'm sorry. It says here, come with us. I hope you're here. Maybe you're a guest. Maybe, as we heard so beautifully in the notices, you're invited. Come on, come in. in. You know, you can have a bun outside. That sounds fun. <laughs> I don't do that in England. I'm going to move here. But no, you can, you can come in. Come and be part of Come with us. We're about a great work. God will bless you, and you will become a blessing. You will become a blessing. I just complimented a guy leading, helping to lead worship this morning. And he said, well, it's the second time I've done it. He didn't know when he came in he was going to be playing a key role. Father, I praise you for this church. Thank you for Nick and the team that lead. Pray that, Lord God, you will bless. Keep on blessing us. Keep taking us forward, Father. Help us to glorify your great name in this neighborhood and beyond. Lord, help each one of us to find our place. Lord, thank you. Don't send us to the back of the line. You say, come. You can be eyes for us. I pray, Lord God, for us to find our place in your city, in your, in your family, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. have paid our ransom as we land this morning we come to the cross we come to the fulfillment of everything that Terry said the Bible is one unified story of God restoring his people and this is the climax of that restoration his broken body his shed blood so that instead of entering cowering confessing into his throne of grace, boldly confident, saying, because of your blood and broken body. And as we continue to sing the song, I want to invite you to come and take the elements, take them back to your seat, and we'll participate in the Lord's Supper together. Who are we? We are a people who have been rescued by the scandalous grace and mercy of God. We are a people who have had our sins forgiven. We are a people who have been healed because of the broken body of Jesus. Take and eat his broken body.
who are we? We are a people who rest not in our own works, but on the finished work of Jesus. We're a people who trust and rely in the power of the shed blood of Jesus that paid the penalty for our sin and broke the power of our sin. Take and drink. continue to worship but I will invite two groups of people three if you are a seeker and what Terry has said has just opened your eyes to the beauty of Jesus we want to say what Moses said to Jethro come with us we will do you good and today is an opportunity for you to join us on our journey as we join God in the restoration of all things. But also that last story that Terry said, you may be that young man sitting on that bus in India have known God and have just drifted away. Maybe not even drifted away, maybe intentionally just walked away. And this morning, the Spirit of God is inviting you back. We would love to pray with you. We're going to have some deacons and leaders on my left, your right. Please don't leave before you've received prayer for those things. For the rest of us, we're going to sing this song. And unlike the Baptist pastor who said, be back next week, we're going to say what we always say, go out there and be the church. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, please rate us and hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.